0: So uh, I like to keep it loose, and I, I have a lot of fun up here. So uh, hopefully you laugh a lot. If not, then just pretend. Please help me, God help me. So let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for that moment of worship, God. That time of prayer. Thank you because you prayed for this moment, God. Thank you for the word you're about to release and the lives you're about to touch, God. I give you thanks lord in jesus name amen amen can i get it lowered a little bit up in the monitors um just a little bit thanks brother okay let's go ahead and turn to joshua chapter one we're going to get right into it i can go on for hours and it's already 9 30 so that wasn't a joke so none of you laughed so good um So turn to Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 9, but we're going to go little by little, I'm not going to read everything. I'm reading out of the uh, NLT version, it'll be up on the screen, if you could see it over my big head. If not, it's on the TV over there too. So welcome to Atmosphere, again, Move of God. Uh, Every year we have a different subtitle um, and a vision for what God is uh, speaking to us and intending um, to do and so this year we came up with the with the theme where I should say the the subtitle move of God and um, you know we've been preparing for this since I think May, the end of May. I know the worship team has been preparing for two months the board when we come up with these events we start planning them back in May and so ever since then God has really been just like like rocking my world, like really just speaking to me about today. And I'm probably going to get a, like I'm going to be a mess like at the end of the message, but that's okay. so so when I started reading um, this specific chapter in Joshua, I actually did a Bible study on it back in June. Um, I started reading this, I started reading about Joshua's life. we you know about. Him taking over after Moses. We know about Jericho and how he takes Israel into the promised land. And he was with Caleb that was one of the spies that went into the promised land to sort of, you know, scope it out at the beginning. And then nobody wanted to go in because there was giants um, in the land. And so when I was reading this for the Bible study, there was one phrase that, that stuck out the most. And I'll highlight it for you, but let's go ahead and read so after the death of Moses, the Lord, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set foot, where." Sorry wherever you set foot you will be on land i have given you from negev wilderness in the south to lebanon mountains in the north from the euphrates river in the east to the mediterranean sea in the west including all the land in all including all the land of the hittites no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live for i will be with you as i was with moses i will not fail you or abandoned. Amen? So, the one phrase that I kept getting um, stuck on, and I didn't realize this back then, um, back in the Bible study, but as I was preparing for the message today, the phrase that kept um, getting me was just, Joshua, son of none. And I just kept asking God, like, why does that just keep jumping out at me? And and so then God wanted me to talk today about fathers. So, my topic for you today is... um, Fathers, our Father in Heaven, and I'm also going to relate that or talk about spiritual fathers, um, fathers and mothers um, here as the body of Christ. And my goal is to sort of to, to sort of unveil to you sort of like the purposes of, of fathers and mothers and, and to show you, right, like more of our father's um, will over your life. And so we catch Joshua here um, in these first couple of chapters And the first thing that you see is that God comes up to him and tells him, Joshua, get up. Joshua, Moses is dead, right? And so he starts talking with him. And honestly, the way that I see this is like a father and a son, like having a pep talk before a game. And I want to illustrate it for you. So, Jerry, can you come up here? I'm going to go down here. I've never done this before. God help me. So, God is talking to Joshua, right? And he's telling him, look, Moses is dead. So this is what I see when I read those verses. You'll be Joshua, and I'll be God. So, this is what I see happening. Look at, son. Moses is dead. Walk with me. You can walk with me. (laughs) Moses is dead. Your past, I've completely wiped it out. Now, you're going to take the promised land. I'm giving it to you. Everything. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. You're courageous. You're strong. Everything you set your eyes on, everything that your feet touch is yours. I've given it to you. You know, look at it. Look at it. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. You see it. And so that's what I, thank you, Jerry. So that's what I see happening in this moment. So that's what I see happening in this moment. I see a pep talk going on between a father and a son. I see God telling him, Moses is dead. You know, and a lot of times we get hung up on the past. Like, what happened yesterday? And God is saying, no, 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 no. That's dead. Let's move on now. Like, move on. Like, look, keep looking ahead. There's no going backwards. He didn't give you armor for your back because there's no retreating in God. There's only going forward. And so God is stirring up Joshua and he's telling him, take courage, be strong, be courageous and strong. And the theme throughout um, this first chapter is, is God telling Joshua, be strong, be courageous, be strong. Be very courageous. And so when the Father speaks, if you were here last Friday, our brother Jeffy, Pastor Jeffy from another church, came and he gave a great word. And essentially what he said is that when the Father speaks, he creates. So as God is speaking and he has his arm around your shoulder and he's telling you, look at child, look at the promised land. And for you, it could be a job, it could be a healing, it could be a, a relative that doesn't know Christ, right? And he's saying, look at it. Look at it as if it was done. Amen. And as the father starts speaking, that destiny starts to come to fruition. Right. And so that's what God is telling Joshua. He's telling him, son, what Moses didn't do, I'm going to do through you. You are about to give these people the promised land. And so when a father speaks, he creates, he creates identity. And so when God comes to us, he calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he gives us our identity. When God speaks, he can't help but create. And so when he speaks and he creates and he creates your identity, your identity becomes secure in him. And that becomes, if you will, an identifiable home. His word, like you can live in it. You know, you can't see it. Like right now I'm talking and you can't see it, right? But when God speaks, you can live in it. When God speaks, you can run to that promise, and that is where you are safe. So when you are safe, when you are at peace, you start to dream. You start to have vision for your life, and you start to see what God is giving to you, your Father, your Heavenly Father. And the other thing is he says, Joshua, whatever your feet touch, that you will conquer, that you will take. I've shared this before, uh, something that I've learned, is that in the world, peace is the absence of war. In the world, peace is the absence of, like, violence, right? Um, when, like, the world war, world war I and World War II were going on, and then when, when they ended, you know, they declared that a time of peace. You know, countries signed treaties, right? People are under, under contract to keep peace. But in the kingdom of heaven, peace is the presence of God. It's not the absence of something, as we've learned, it's the presence of someone, and that is our Father. So when he speaks, he creates identity, he creates an identifiable safe home to where you can camp, where you can sleep. And not just that, he doesn't just invite you to come camp there, he comes and he invites you to take part in the victory and in the overcoming that he is doing. Because that Bible verse, right, that says, the prince of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God wants to crush Satan under your feet. God, the prince of peace, his presence brings peace. That God wants to crush Satan, and he wants to use your feet to crush him. Amen. Amen. So when the God speaks, he creates an identity. He creates a home. His presence brings a safe place. It brings a, pay, a place of peace, right? Because he speaks to you. And he doesn't speak to you necessarily as you are now. He speaks to you as your destiny, as to where you're headed. Amen? That makes sense? Yeah. I will check in with you often because I want to make sure you're getting this. Because this is important. I value this. Um, we're starting this conference. Don't miss tomorrow. Um, Pastor Cynthia is going to bring the word tomorrow. And then Pastor Mario on Saturday night. And then on Sunday at 2 o'clock again. So I just invite you to keep coming. So, when parents speak, they create identity. When spiritual fathers and mothers speak, they create identity. Another thing about um, about when I speak is I tell a lot of stories. Sometimes too many, but that's okay. I have the microphone. So, the first story I'm going to share is one that I've actually told before. So. Um, my parents uh, raised me up uh, in, playing sports my entire life. Um, I grew up. I played for the city league. I played uh, baseball, basketball, and flag football. And then in high school, I kept playing basketball. And just so you know, just because you're tall doesn't mean you're good. Um, I know personally. And so, so one day, and baseball was just the worst. You know, like it's a cool sport. I love it, but I just I hand me and hand-eye coordination, like something happened during my growth spurt that like I just didn't learn mobility or something like that and I have no balance whatsoever. You could ask my wife, one time I was, I'm getting off topic. One time I was leaving the apartment and I was half waving at her and somehow my body went like this way and like I fell over the couch. And she looks at me, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm exiting the apartment. This is how I exit the apartment. Well, anyways, so I've told this story before, but I've never um, told the second part. And I've always told this story um, kind of like in reference to a joke. And I'm not going to tell it that way today, but you can laugh, it's fine. So so, uh, I don't know how old I was, I was early teens. And they always used to put me in the outfield, and I hated it. I always wanted to play first base, because I actually did pretty good there when I did uh, play that position. But they would always go put me in center field. This kid has long legs. He can run. He can catch the ball. Wrong. So somebody hits the ball. And you guys know this story. And I go back. And I'm like, man, Lord Jesus, that ball is coming at me. And now I have to catch it. And I'm thinking, like, it probably lasted like two seconds, but I'm thinking, like, my life is flashing before my eyes. And the guy on third base is about to score. And so I get my glove up, and the sun, like, blinds me and the ball just like I I thought I had it I'm just I and it just rolls off the glove and it's just like I grabbed the ball and I just launched it as hard as I could I was so mad my ear was like red for like for a long time and it just hurt and my mom my amazing loving mom she gets up and she says Everybody has a glove. Use it. (laughs) And I'm just like, man, really? And normally I tell that story, and that's where I end. But my mom, now kind of looking into it, my mom was saying, you have an ability. What are you doing? You are able to catch the ball. You have a glove in your hand. Catch the ball. My mom wasn't saying, like, No sirves para nada. Inutil. (laughs) My mom stood up and she was like, I'll translate that for you later, boo. My mom stood up and she was like, you have a glove, use it. Best revelation of my life. You have authority and power in Jesus Christ and you need to use it. You need to use it. When you see somebody that maybe needs prayer or they look downcast or something like that, God is on the sidelines of your life. He's in the bleachers and he's saying, son, I've given you power. Daughter, I've given you authority. Use it. And that's what my mom was saying back then. I just didn't get it. She was saying, you have a glove, use it. You have the ability to catch the ball. Right? The second part of that story that I've never told is that my mom saying that got me so mad that when the game was over, we drove home, and I don't know if you guys remember this, we drove home and I was sitting in the back of our Ford Econoline van, that thing sat like 20 people, and I'm sitting back there, we park in front of our house, and then my mom and my sisters get out of the car, my dad's in the driver's seat, and I go up to my dad and I was like, can you please take me back to the park? And he's like, and I remember it all too well. I think the baseball in the head must have done something, but. I said, can you take me back to the park please? And so he takes me back to the park and we played catch. You remember that? We played catch for like a couple of, like a half hour maybe. And that I would like to, I would like to think, right? I was not this mature back then, but my mom identifying who I am stirred me so that I can press forward into who I was. And that only comes through exercise and training, the Bible says that you should train in what you have been equipped with so that you manage it well and so that it increases. And so we went back to that park that day and my dad and I played catch. We threw the ball around and I caught every ball. And then the coaches saw me and they were like, Oscar, give your son a break, man. And I was like, in my head, I was like, man, I asked to be here. And so we got in the bleachers and we watched the next game. And then that like just made me hungry and made me want to like, keep going. And I remember the next season came around and my mom was like, are you gonna play baseball? And I was like, are you gonna yell at me again? And I was like, no, I'm not playing baseball. And she said, you're gonna quit. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna quit, I suck. And she's like, you're not gonna quit. And I'm like, I just don't wanna play baseball, lady. Like, I'll wait till basketball comes back around. And she's like, no, 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 you're playing baseball. I'm paying for you to play baseball. I was like, no, you're playing for me to drop the ball. But all joking aside, my mom didn't let me quit. And I went and I played my last season with my brothers because when you grow up in sports, when you grow up in any type of team, any type of house, home environment, you grow up with your brothers and I had grown up with those guys and you know, my mom through not letting me quit, my dad through support, you know, they taught me like the value of like sticking, like tough, like staying tough you know, and like pressing forward, even when it gets hard, that you remember that you have a glove, you have authority, you have power, and that maybe you prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. That doesn't mean that you make excuses to make yourself feel better about it. That means that you get back in the quiet room and you ask God, why didn't this happen? It's supposed to happen. You told me it's supposed to happen, so I want to see it happen. The other day, I went for a walk at uh, my job. I was walking and... Um, uh, i saw this guy and i've been asking god like give me word for people right um and i felt like god told me something about um this particular person and so i just kept walking and i didn't, I didn't do it um and i went to go sit down at like a bench i was watching people do um they were like building a, an office right there by my job i just sat down under a tree just started reading the word and this guy walked by and i was just like god if he sits you know here we go with the ifs if he sits next to me like I'll give him the word and he didn't sit next to me he walked right by, right by me. And so I get up to go walk back into my office and I'm 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 kind of passing the guy kind of not he's like on the other side of the street he's on his phone. And then I don't want to go bug the guy so I just kept walking. And I start making excuses in my head. I start saying, "Yeah, you know, he's on his phone, I don't want to bug him. You know, the word maybe it wasn't for him. Well, if, you know, if God's going to give him a word, God's going to give him a word. You know, it's not necessarily me, right? And I started realizing what I was doing that I was actually hardening my heart. I, wasn't making, I was not making excuses to feel myself better, but I was hardening my heart because I wasn't allowing myself to be sensitive to what he's sensitive to. I don't know if you guys get that. I was making excuses to feel myself better about doing something that God had told me to do. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? So literally, like, I stopped and I said out loud, God, I'm not going to make excuses to make myself feel better. I'm not going to condemn myself or make myself feel guilty either. But I am going to let my heart be stirred by what stirs you. And if I don't do it, that's okay. The next time, I'm going to do it. The next time, I'm going to do it. The next time, I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to make excuses to make myself necessarily feel better about it. Because it's supposed to matter. It's supposed to, people are supposed to matter the whole reason that we're here is so that we can be equipped if you're broken you get fixed and you get, you get sent back out to rebuild cities it says in Isaiah 61 you are trees of righteousness amen okay I'm told like five stories already okay let's go to Deuteronomy 34.9 so Deuteronomy 34.9 so I'm going to talk a lot about um, fathers and mothers um, and specifically about our father in heaven and um, you know uh, you know lots of people grow up without a father, they grow up without a mother, some grow out grow up without both um, and when I was thinking and meditating about about this word, I was thinking about. How when when people come into Christianity, right, the Bible says that they're born again. The Bible says that they're babies. What do babies need? They need a father and they need a mother. They need somebody to look after them, to counsel them, to love them, to mentor them. So when we come to Christianity, we should actually find that we have access to fathers, to mothers, to big brothers, to big sisters, to counselors, to elders, to pastors, to prophets, whatever it may be. And I notice that often, unfortunately, what happens in churches is that the leaders will think, you know, like, I'm not your father. God's your father. I'm your pastor. Or, like, I'm your elder, right? And while that's true, we've been called to model something in the physical that he models for us in the spiritual. Because we are Christ-like. You are an ambassador of Christ, says the word. So... If you're an ambassador, like, you are legally identified as that which you represent. If you go to an embassy in the Middle East, and it's a U.S. embassy, you are standing on U.S. soil. You are Christ-like. It is not okay for us to be like, you know, don't look at me. Like, I'm just a man. So was Jesus. But he was 100% God. But he was 100% man. And so here you have Joshua, right? And Joshua goes into the land. He goes into the promised land with Caleb with, 12, with 10 other spies. And they come in and they say, we can take the land. We can take it. We can take it. And the other 10 are like, no, nah, there's giants in there. There's, there's, there's like Nephilim in there. They're, they're big. We're not going to be able to overcome them. It's just too great. And it's, the Bible says that Joshua and Caleb rip up their clothing because they're just so passionate and they want to step into that promised land. And we know the story. We know that Moses isn't allowed to enter into the promised land. So what ends up happening is that the people of Israel, instead of going into the promised land, they continue to wander in the desert. And so in Deuteronomy 34.9, let's go ahead and read it now. In thirty-four nine, you have this exchange between Moses and Joshua. If you will, Moses represents Joshua's spiritual father. And he's modeling what Moses is modeling what he has learned from God, from his heavenly father. And so in verse nine, it says, now Joshua, son of Nun, there's that expression again, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him so the people of Israel obeyed him doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses I think that's so key because we need and, and at the very end like I'm gonna do like a call call to action sort of thing where if God is calling you to be like a mother to be like a father to be like a counselor to be like a mentor it doesn't mean that you have biological kids I'll get over. I'll get to what the qualification to be a father and a mother is shortly. But here you have Moses. And Moses can't go into the promised land anymore. And how many pastors in our days have we seen where, you know, they're getting old and nothing has happened in their life. And the young buck comes around and they're like, man, get out of here. Right? We can't have that anymore. This, we've been saying this is a home. Welcome to this house. I've said it, when we were, when we first started Grace and Love, we started at the Cal home, raise your hand sister, we started at her home, we were in the backyard, rain or shine, and I mean rain or shine, and sometimes it poured, which is rare, and then we had to, uh, then we got kicked out of there because we were making too much noise, so we moved into the living room, moved into the living room. They tore down the wall that made the whole house open concept. I love open concept. And we had service in a home. When we moved to Culver City, I told everybody, this will always be a home. This will always be a house. This will always be a family first. So that when we come, when people come here, like I told the ushers today, greet people like if you were greeting people into your own home. I told the hosts to host like if they were hosting people at their own home. I told the worship directors to worship with the people as if they were worshiping with them in intimacy at their home because that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. But in the family, you have fathers and mothers, and you have grandparents, and you have children. And so here you have a child in Joshua and Moses knowing that he's not going to go into the promised land comes to Joshua, lays his hands on him, and if you will, if I paraphrase for you, he says, son, go do what I cannot do. Go and take the land that only my eyes can see, but my feet will never touch. Go and take it. And God is telling you guys, take the land. Take the land that your grandparents worked hard for you to take. Take the land that your parents worked for you to take. Take it. So when you come into a safe place, when you come into the presence of God, you start to dream. When you start to dream, you get vision. When you get vision, you get hungry. Last year, I uh, preached about hunger. Uh, I talked about, you know, staying hungry in the kingdom of heaven. And in the world, you eat to satisfy your hunger. In the kingdom of heaven, you eat to get hungrier it's the opposite so let me touch on hunger for a little bit hunger is what happens when you encounter the presence of god and you realize that there's way more than you'll ever be able to experience in your lifetime hunger is what happens when you when you read the book of acts and it says that the disciples were um, driving around in the honda sorry that they were all in one accord that was a joke <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Hunger is what happens when you have a group of people in one mindset going after the same thing. It's, it's what happens when a group of people gather and they wait and they don't move until the and suddenly the spirit came like a rushing wind. That is hunger. That you gather with your brothers and your sisters. You know, we used to gather And we would like have conversations till like 2, 3 in the morning. And we had to go to work the next day. I would get home sometimes at 3 and my mom would be like, Yeso? I was like, listen woman, I was over there and we were talking about the Lord. Okay? So, and she was like, go to bed. I was like, yes ma'am. When you're hungry, you lose regard For yourself like you just you just lay it all out you surrender completely I was telling um, the worship team or a couple people a couple weeks ago that God was telling me what if you came to church not expecting anything I mean come expectant for God to move but don't expect anything particular right like don't put God in that box just come as a white canvas and let him paint on you and see what happens so hunger is the beginning of breakthrough. Why? Because if you're not hungry, then you're not moving. And where a river doesn't move, it stinks. Where a river moves, it carves passageways. And it feeds trees. And it feeds plants. And it feeds, you know, Bambi. There goes your Disney reference. And it feeds, like, you know, the animals. And it feeds us, human beings, God's creation... Hunger is the beginning of breakthrough because you're constantly pursuing what he has said and you don't stop until it's true. You guys got it? Recently I uh, ran into one of my old friends um, that we used to hang out with and um, he knows this story. Um, I grew up with maybe like five, like they were all my best friends. Um, We all played basketball together, loved the Lakers. Uh, A couple of them in particular used to go to the house and not even knock, just open the door, open the fridge. They would do the same thing at my house. They were family. They are still family. A couple of them are uh, atheists. They're not believers. A couple of them are, uh, they believe in Jesus, um, but they pertain to different, you know, religions and stuff like that. One of them in particular um, him and I used to always go to like rock shows together and you know go in the mosh pits and get all crazy and um, one day and I used to pray for them constantly I used to constantly pray for them God like give me a word for them like let me let me like let me like you know speak to them give me like a, a, a good word back then and you know uh, one of my friends one day I woke up on Thursday and it was a, it was a Thursday morning and God, like shook me and I woke up and he showed me a picture of my friend with a gun to his head and he said pray for your friend because he's going through something and he might take his life so I got on my knees and I started praying and he knows this I told him the story I started praying for him and I started texting him and trying to reach out to him and he wasn't responding and I didn't see him at at school in college I didn't see him Uh, not till Friday or Saturday night, we went to a friend's house to go play um, video games. And he shows up. He shows up with, like, a six-pack of beer or, or, like, two uh, bottles of beer. And his eyes are all red. And I'm like, hey, man, I've been trying to reach you. What's going on? And he's like, these two are for my Nino. And I'm like, what happened? He's like, my uncle drove off of the freeway and died. And I was like, dang. Like, I didn't even know, but God woke me up to, like, pray for him. And I was just praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. See, when you hunger, you got your ear up to God's heart, and he's giving you orders like a warrior, like a, like a general, right? And he's telling you, pray for this, pray for that, pray for this. You, you make a difference. You have a glove. Use it. And so I'm, I told him, like, hey, dude, like, man, I had a dream about you. And then he was just like, I don't want to hear it. And he backed off, and um, for for whatever reasons, um, back then I was also like you know playing hula hoop. Like Saturday night I was partying, and then like Sunday morning I was like worshiping. So I couldn't really like you know make an impact because I didn't fully believe all the way. At least not enough to surrender my life. And so you know time grew apart. We separated got more involved in church, actually gave you know surrender to God and stuff like that. I just saw him recently, and I hugged him, and I had a dream of him earlier this year. And I, t- I hugged him, and I told him, dude, I've texted you, man. Like, where have you been? And like, we were, like, hugging for a while. Like, I mean, we're family. Like, we hugged for, like, a long time. And so I was, like, speaking to him. I was, like, embracing him, and I was like, man, I've been reaching out to you. And he's like, hey, man, I've been wanting to talk to you, too. And so we started talking, and he said, before you say anything, he told me, I want to thank you because I know that you've been praying for me and I want to get serious with God. And I was like, he told me that any, he's like, next time you go to service, like, let me know. Me and my girlfriend are down to go. And his girl actually goes to like a Calvary chapel and he's like, dude, I want to get serious with God. And I'm like, awesome, bro, like, and then we just started talking, and we were at our friend's birthday party, who just had a serious car accident, and I got to pray for him, who um, is an atheist, and so prayer matters, like, what you say, like, has, like, weight on it, and so the other day, when he's telling me all of this, like, I'm almost crying, and I'm like, man, God, like, you know, sometimes I pray for them, sometimes I don't, you know, and, and, I, and then they've made fun of me because I'm a believer and they're atheists. But, like, I love them anyways, you know. Like, none of that matters. None of that matters when you have love in the equation. And so I go home a couple of days later, and so I remember that. And I started praying for them intentionally and on purpose. And God shows me a vision. And in front of me, they're standing. There's Sam, Mario, Chris, Mario, Alex. And Frankie two of them used to be Christian their parents split up and it broke them they became atheists three of them actually sorry one of them my friend who I'm talking about today stepped away and said that he didn't know if he believed in God anymore until he had an experience and God actually gave him a sign that showed showed him that I was praying for him. And so in this vision, I'm praying for them, and immediately I close my eyes, and I have them in front of me, and there's sponges over them, over each and every single one of them. And the sponges are hard. And the sponges represents, represent their hearts, their hardened hearts against the Lord. But as I'm praying, I get to go up to those sponges and grab them. If you will, I get to go up to their hearts, and I grab them, And I say, God loves you. And as I'm seeing this, I'm praying and I'm thinking, these hearts are going to melt. And as I'm seeing the sponges over them, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And those sponges, one day I declare and prophesy that they will be squeezed and they will encounter that outpouring of the spirit. So that's what happens when you're hungry. You don't slow down, you get faster. You don't lessen, you increase, right? We say, like, God, let me decrease so that you can increase. God doesn't want you to decrease. He wants you to be more like him. He wants you to increase in him. How else can you do what he has called you to do? It's not about you, but did you know that God was all about you? Uh That one was free. (laughs) Um, This other thing that my wife and I have been totally going after is finances, like, Last year, uh, like to keep it real, like I had stopped tithing and I had tithed my whole life. My parents always were like, Datu diezmo, mijo, da tu diezmo. And I'd be like, yes, mom, it's that. So I would always give it. Then one day I stopped tithing, you know, proposed, got married. Um, and it was like with my finances, I felt like, you know, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? last year we put in our hearts to start tithing um... it was like around november and the moment my wife now and i talked and we said yes the very next week we got a big check in the mail that i wasn't even expecting out of nowhere like literally we pray for checks in the mail and i got a check in the mail and so when you're hungry you go after things and and god sort of sets it up okay i'm gonna set it up this way And now you're gonna manage, and you're gonna go through this. And so when you're hungry, you're going through stuff, right? You're you're. When you're hungry, doesn't mean that life stops. Like bad stuff. (laughs) Like life just happens, right? And so her and I had started giving. And at the beginning of the year, I go to the hospital because I have this crazy fever, and I have spots like all over me. I look like a leopard, and. I end up in the hospital, I go to the urgent care, and then the bills start coming. And then I, you know, because of my own mismanagement, go to the dentist, and I need like, I needed two root canals. I had one, I have one more. Pray for me, please. <laughs> and I hate the dentist. Um, but who doesn't? Um, and so we got hungry. And now that hunger has developed, and it's like a fierce hunger. And now that hunger. Is helping out other people to get into financial freedom I didn't we didn't plan that we didn't plan that it just happened my wife's studying to be a nurse I work in advertising we're not accountants sometimes you think you can't be used because you're not prepared but he prepares you and as we're on this journey I remember this word that my mom received when she was in uh, Guatemala one time. And I thought it had to do with finances. And I asked her recently, like, Mom, what, what happened? Like, what did that guy say? And she said, well, this, this, and that. And I was like, oh, I thought it had to do with finances. And I, I remember that it kind of had to do with, with, like, prosperity. My mom went to Guatemala with my two sisters, two younger sisters. My dad and I, um, we stayed uh, back in uh, here in L.A. And this, so this guy's praying for my mom and my sisters, and he tells my mom, Daughter, daughter, I've heard your prayers for your husband, and I will lift him up. Daughter, daughter, I've heard your prayers for your son, and I will lift him up even more than his father. So we're on our way back from the airport, and my mom's telling us this, and she's sitting in, uh, diagonally for me, and I'm crying, and like she's crying as she's telling us this, and, you know we didn't have it all growing up but we had all the love that we needed and so my mom's telling us telling us a story and i'm crying and back then the way i used to think you know very religious i thought i'm gonna be lifted up more than my dad i wonder if how does that make him feel like i almost wanted to be like dad I'm going to be lifted up more than you. Like, that sucks. (laughs) I was like, I hope he's not, like, jealous or anything like that. (laughs) Because I'll take it. I'll take the word. And back then, I used to think like that, you know, very. And now I look at it, and it's just like God to say that. It's just like God to say that a son will surpass his father. And then his son's son will surpass his father. Because it says a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And Jesus said, go and do greater works. He meant that you would surpass him. It's not that I'm going to be more blessed than my dad. By all means, God, set the bar super high for my dad and then set it even higher for me. And my kids, now I think about it as a spiritual father with my wife, and one day as a biological father, I'm going to want my kids to to have more than what I had. Hunger takes you where gifts and ability can't take you. All right. Turn back to Joshua. And we left off at verse 6. See, sometimes we come into Christianity thinking the way we think. Duh. Sometimes we come into Christianity and we think a certain way but the bible says you accept christ you become born again along the way you got to renew your mind so back then as a religious person when i hear that word my mind isn't renewed and i have this paradigm this way of thinking if you will that is sort of like like not very like courageous not very like strong not very brave and i start thinking like in terms of like jealousy and like terms of like you know this and that and and just in ways that aren't correct, you know, sometimes we come in with, like, paradigms and ways of thinking that are negative, and God releases a promise, and you think it's something else, you know, when in reality, he has said, renew your mind. And so as he renews your mind, he's setting you up for more, right? So on here, it says, God comes to Joshua, and he says, son, get up. God comes, and he says, Joshua, Arise. He says, arise. Why? Because Moses, their leader, had just died. Their spiritual father had just passed away. And God comes up to him and he tells him, Joshua, arise. Puts his arm around his shoulder. Son, it's your time. It's your turn now. And he starts telling him, you're going to take, take this land. You're going to take this land. So let's, let's catch up with Joshua on verse, uh, on verse 6. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 6, and so here goes God speaking to him. He goes, listen to what a father says to a son. He says, son, be strong and courageous. For you are the one, you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left, then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Other versions say only then will you prosper your own way. We can't have a culture of strong and courageous people unless there are fathers and mothers speaking to them in a strong and courageous way. When you have fathers and mothers telling people, you have a glove, use it. You have authority, use it. You have power, use it. You have gifts. We're here, we promote all of that. We encourage all of that. We empower all of that. You have a gift of word of knowledge, use it. Welcome, this is a safe place. You can use it. Practice it here, go out there, go use it. You can give prophecy, great. Practice it here, tell me something. Keep practicing. Go out there. You're you're, you're broken. We'll heal you. We'll send you out there. When the Father speaks in love, it's done through word and deed. Word because of what he says. Deed because of follow through. Often, you know, when I grew up, I remember, I remember um, this this message would always be like put out there, right? Like you had organizations like Dare, you right? Remember that growing up, guys, uh, D-A-R-E. I know how to spell Dare. And you would have um, like you would have like different communities in society saying, "We need our fathers to stick around. We need fathers to stick around, right? Because people knew what happens when." When families are sort of like, you know, separated like that. And I don't hear that message anymore. I don't hear people saying like, fathers need to stick around. The message has gotten all like screwed up and now we're like all somewhere else. But that doesn't mean that we're impressed now and we retreat back. No, it means that we press forward and we shine light with our families now. Like back then I would hear like, fathers like need to stick around. Like you have these kids out there. Like doing things, right? You have people just recently like killing each other because they think, you know, a hundred people in a hundred days. What's a life cost? They don't value life because they were never taught the value that they possess. So when fathers and mothers are present, there's courage and strength. And not courage and strength to go fight necessarily. Like in Joshua's case, it was to go fight. But courage and strength to accept who you are in Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, what happens in our churches—and I'll say ours—I won't like you know, be inclusive. Don't point anybody out. This doesn't happen here. But what happens in our churches? We got to take responsibility. If I heard somebody say, "If you're not part of the problem, then you can't be part of the solution." So don't talk about other people if you're not willing to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get involved. So, and I got my sleeves rolled up and I'm ready to get involved. So, unfortunately what happens is that we have some we have some believers, some of our brothers and some of our sisters that believe in Christ but they don't know God the Father. They've got salvation but they're living like orphans because they haven't accepted the Father. See, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people accept Jesus and they're like Great, I got salvation, but they keep thinking negatively. They keep thinking, like, I'm worthless, like, I suck, like, I'm not good for anything. I never catch the ball when it comes my way. I always drop it. But they don't realize that Jesus came and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I do not leave you as orphans. I leave you with the Holy Spirit. And that's another particular person that people tend not to accept, right? They accept Jesus, right? And then they say, I got a Savior. I believe in Jesus. Oh, that's great, brother. And I got a Father. That's awesome. But I don't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit. What? How can you advance the kingdom of heaven when you don't believe in the one who the kingdom of heaven is in? Did you catch that? In Romans it says the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is in the Holy Spirit. So when you don't believe in the Holy Spirit you can't advance the kingdom. I'm sorry, you don't get to play. So some people have a savior. They have like an older brother and they have problems with authority and they have problems with with leaders because they don't unfortunately they're not taught you have a father and this father says if you obey and you meditate and you camp around what i'm telling you son the promised land mediterranean sea to the euphrates river all of it's yours whatever you want it's that simple if you will surrender and then he says and i'm not even going to send you alone i'm going to send you with the holy spirit And stuff gets all crazy, right? And people get like, oh my God, some people are like shaking around over here, and some people are speaking in tongues, and, you know, the people don't, people get uncomfortable with that. He's called a comforter, so you're probably going to be uncomfortable. So, what needs to happen is that we need fathers and mothers to step up and take the time to make a phone call. You know, to visit somebody, to send a text, to send a Facebook message, to be like, hey, you belong here. This is your family. As long as you come here, I don't even care if you come here once in a while. We have people that come to just our retreats, and we treat them like brothers and sisters. We treat them like children. We don't care if they come back anymore because it's selfless, unconditional love that our Father has given us. And that is the love that we give people. So when you have fathers and mothers in the stands of your life, right, and not only that, you have God the Father, then you have a cloud of witnesses in the stands cheering you on, telling you to take the land, take the land, take what was promised to you, right? I remember almost every time in high school playing basketball, right? And we played, I went to uh, Warren in Downey and we played against uh, Dominguez and Paramount. And, you know, we used to get scrappy, you know. Like, I played against some people that are in the NBA now, you know. And I might be tall, but these guys were like, these were some big boys. (laughs) They made me look like I make some of you look. With love, I meant that with love. <laughs> and I, I remember this one time, this guy like shoved me in the back, and I turned around, and I was like, "Man!" And I looked to my to look to the stands, and my mom's like. And like just seeing her there, kind of like reminded me, like, okay, like, dude, relax. You're not that tough. You're gonna get your butt kicked. <laughs> and so I just remember constantly being able to turn as a kid. And see, my parents sitting on the the stands, cheering me on, knowing that I wasn't an orphan, knowing that I was a child, that I belonged to somebody, and that if something happened to me on the court, if something happened to me on the field, I was going to be okay. That I could take a risk, that I could take a bad shot. That if I sat on the bench the whole time, my parents weren't going to think less of me. They were still going to love me and cheer me on. And they were going to cheer my brothers and sisters on. Because they were invested. They were always there. I remember this one time, um, I played sports and then I was also like into um, rollerblading, I would ride a scooter, um, skateboarding, BMX, like we used to go off-roading. Dude, what didn't I do as a kid? Um, Ice skating. I didn't do ice skating. And so I'm I'm on a skateboard for the first time and I go off like a curve, like the driveway, and I land on the back wheels and the board just flies out and I land on my rear and the girl the girl. There's this girl sitting behind me, like, she's literally, like, the girl next door. Back then, boo, back then. Not anymore. <laughs> back then, she was, you know, the girl next door, like, Ooh, there goes Crystal. <laughs> Dang, girl, did you see me land that heel flip? <laughs> right? But she's sitting there with my friend, and I go off the curve, and I land on my rear, and I'm like, oh, man, that's embarrassing. Oh, I just, no, I just ruined my chances. I don't even wear like skinny jeans and like, she's not going to go out with me anymore. Out of nowhere, I feel someone who is much larger than me pick me up, put me back on my feet, and give me the skateboard. And it was my dad. And I didn't even realize that he was back there like, watching me. I went off the curve, fell, landed on my butt. I was only down there for a couple seconds. The next thing I know, somebody's picking me up, putting me back on my feet, dusting me off, handing me my skateboard. Try again that is god that is spiritual fathers and mothers where they create a safe place come here okay you fell let me pick you back up let me dust you off let me give you this back try again try again joshua later on goes and marches around jericho seven times right can you imagine on the second time they're like what are we doing it's hot we're going around this thing you're not letting us talk On the third time, again, dude, this Joshua dude is crazy. Like, somebody go grab Moses. Oh, that's right, Moses is dead. (sighs) Sometimes we need somebody who will encourage us to say, one more try. Come on, just one more. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to quit baseball. I can't tell you how many times. I, one thing I did quit was physics. My senior year, I was, and not for lack of trying, because trust me, I tried. But if a car comes out of a driveway and it needs to catch up to a speeding truck that's going 65 miles per hour, how long will it take for the car to catch up to the speeding truck? Who cares? Like, Dude, I don't need that in my life. And the worst thing is that I had this teacher who was a teacher by title. You know, I I believe that titles don't make leaders. Sorry. I've had great mentors in my life, and they didn't have a title. And I've had, recently even, I've had um, leaders in my life, but all they got is a title. A title doesn't make a leader. Time and devotion and love and encouragement and strength, that makes a leader. And so this teacher was like just like salivating at the moment to like kick Kevin out of his class. And I, it didn't help that I was in there with six of my other buddies. And we were like throwing erasers at people. And we're like, figure out the physics of that buddy. And like hitting people in the face. And we're like, shooting rockets into the air. And then my friend threw a water balloon one time and like slapped some girl in the face with it. Very inappropriate, by the way. So we we're all very mature, as you can see. But one time, um, I got sent to the counselor's office. And guess who worked at the school that I went to? My mom. Guess who didn't know that my mom worked at the school? My teacher. So they sent me, and I, I had been sent to the principal's office like one other time for something, a uh, dumb mistake. And my mom showed up <laughs> defended me, and I still ended up in Saturday school. This time, though, my mom shows up, and we're waiting for the teacher. And so the teacher walks in, and he sees her, and he's like, He's so like, you work here. And he, he was even late. He had the audacity to be late. He walks in, he's like, we're still having the meeting? Like, that's how he talked, I'm not even joking around. And so this guy starts like, just going like, like laying me like a new one. Like he just starts saying like, you know, he's got bad grades, he messes around in class, this and that. And my mom goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't see what I see at home. My son putting in about two to three hours on homework assignment, racking his head, trying to get your material, and he's not performing better but he's trying and you know she was essentially what she was doing in that moment was defending me right she was standing up for her son i was failing but that doesn't mean that you like that you put people down you know a lot of people will come into this church broken and in failure and we think sometimes that once people come in here there won't be any more failure and that's not true we should actually encourage failure Because if you're failing, then you're taking risk. If you're taking risk, then you're hungry. If you're hungry, it's because you've got a vision. If you've got a vision, it's because you're camping next to the one that gives dreams. So my parents and my mom and dad were always in the picture, always in the picture. And I'm not telling you this so that some of you feel like, man, I didn't have a mom, I didn't have a dad. And, you know, man, I would have loved to have had like somebody there watching me play sports there was God was there it says he knew you before you were even born so why wouldn't he be there before you accepted Christ he was there I promise you he was there he was watching you and he brings all his buddies together the cloud of witnesses he's he's there and he's encouraging you, and so you don't have to have kids to be a mother or a father, mother or father. My wife has shown some of those traits to me in my life. Before we got married, I had gotten laid off from a, a call center job. I won't name the bank. Um, but I just I I used to go home and cry, and tell God, "Please get me a new job," or "Please like." Just, I don't know what. And I ended up making a bonehead mistake. I said something to a customer that I shouldn't have said, and I got fired. And I was like, praise God, I got fired. Unemployment for eight months. At the end of the eight months, I wanted to just, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was eight glorious months. I read books. I listened to preachings. I worshiped. I got so into God that I was walking around, and I had a glow, like, on my face. And so, but I get to the end of the eight months and I'm like, okay, I'm getting older, I've had my girlfriend now for a long time, it's time to get serious. It's time to buckle up your pants, son, get a job, save some money, put put a ring on the finger. So, I start looking for work, I start looking for work, I start looking for work. And nothing, and nothing, and nothing. And my unemployment is about to run out. And nothing, and nothing, and nothing. And I applied to a call center where one of my atheist friend's um, girlfriend worked at the time. And not even like that did I get in. And God actually used him to speak to me. He came up to me one day, and he's like, you know you're better than a call center. So stop applying for call centers. And I was like, that was God, dude. That was not Frankie. That was God. So I kept applying, applying. Finally, this internship called me to, to um, go for an interview. So I show up, it's in Hollywood. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna be rubbing shoulders with the stars. You know, my wife and I are gonna be going to some like A-list celebrity parties and to evangelize, of course. And <laughs> and so it's in Hollywood, so they tell me where it's at. So I go park, I show up, you know, in my tie, all suited and everything. And I walk in, and it's a two-man agency, and they interview me on a leather, old, ripped-up couch. And I sit down, and I'm like, what am I doing here? I got a college degree, yo. I I should have a job. (laughs) I should have a career, right? I felt entitled to something that I, that had I been given, had I been given to, had I had it been given to me in that moment, I probably wouldn't have been able to manage it well. And so I, I step into that place, and I'm thinking, can I run out of here, like, right now and, like, not cause a scene? Because this is just awkward. So I get interviewed, and the guy that's interviewing me, he's, he's, he's so cool. But at the time, I was thinking, like, how can I take this guy serious? Like, he was, like, playing with his hair. Like, he was, like, so what do you think about social media? And he was, I was, like, what does this guy have in his hair? Like, <laughs> and so he interviews me, and then this other guy interviews me, and then I walk out of there, and I'm, like, I'm never coming back here again. So I go home. I call, my, I, I call my girlfriend, my wife at the, uh, girlfriend at the time, call my wife and I say, boo, I'm not taking that job. I'm not taking that job. Or internship. It wasn't even a job, it was an internship. They email me right away, Kevin Gomez, we would like for you to come back. The internship is yours if you want it. I was like, I don't want it. And she was like, just take it. It was a three-month internship. She's like, just take it. She was encouraging me. She was strengthening me in that moment, because I thought I was, I was better than it, right? So I was like, you know, you got to humble yourself. And so she's encouraging me to take it, to take it, to take it. And so I was like, I'll take it, I'll take it. Three months is about to end, and I'm applying to other places. And I, and I got to do some cool stuff at this agency after all. Um, I would show up before the, the, the boss and the other guy would show up, and I would pray for their desks, and I would pray for their chairs, and I would be like, God, touch them, touch them, Lord, touch them. And I would share about, like, we went to a retreat for the first time. That was the year and so at the end of the three months I'm asking him like yo Dave like are you gonna be able to give me a job And he's like it doesn't look like it man like we don't have a lot of clients and I'm like man I ain't got no money and it's not like my parents like I can't you know I just I you know we like keeping it real like we grew up like you know we had to get a job we had to like you know provide and help out for the family and so a week before I'm about to quit, and my wife's just encouraging me, keep going, remain faithful. A week when it's about to end, I get a call from where I'm working at now. And they're like, we're calling you from Coneal. And I'm like, what is that? I had applied to this other agency called Sachi and Saatchi. And Coneal is like the sister agency for, for Hispanic marketing. And the lady was like, I'm calling you from Coneal. And I'm like, Connell? What's that? And so. She's like, we'd like to offer you a two-week position. It's to do analytics. And I'm like, math again? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess. So I go into interview, and then I met what would be my first boss at that agency, a great mentor. And he's like, he said this to me, and I'll never forget it. He asked me a bunch of questions and I answered them pretty well, it was a nice agency and you know, I went all dressed up and it was nice, I was like, now this is what I'm talking about. And he goes, he goes, look it, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking for somebody to come in here hungry, do the two week job in one week and start working on other social media work, because he, he was starting a new department at, at that agency. Are you hungry? And I was like, yeah, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten because I'm nervous, I'm really hungry. <laughs> He's like. He's like, are you hungry? And I'm like, I'm so hungry. And so they gave me the two-week job, and I did the analytics, something that I wasn't even qualified to do. I did it in a week. And then I come to find out that the creative that I was assigned to work with, he's Christian. And and then one day I'm listening to like Jesus Coaching. He's like, hey, man, what band is that? And I'm like, is Jesus Coaching? He's like, dude, I'm Christian too. And so I'm like, bro, you got to help me get this job, man. And it's like freelance, it's only two weeks. And the whole time my wife is like, just do it, just do it. Two weeks becomes a month. A month becomes two months. Two months becomes three, four. And just when they're about to tell me for freelance, you can't keep working here anymore because you complete a certain amount of hours, just right before they're about to tell me that, they say, congratulations, a job just opened up. You're going to be permanent. What happens if I don't get encouraged and strengthened to take the internship to be faithful to it, and then to take the two-week job. What happens? See, and I've heard this, and I'll try not to mess it up. Doubt will always abort the dream that God was bringing into reality for you. If you doubt, God's not going to force it on you. But if you doubt, It means you're not hungry it means you're not going after it you gotta stay after it you gotta eat you gotta chew on his word you gotta chew on his promises and just believe and say father that sounds far-fetched for me to take this land but you know what it's not by feelings I'm gonna do it anyways so this is like the last section I'll end let's go to Joshua 1 9 are you guys okay Okay, cool. So Joshua chapter 1-9. This is the last verse I'll read. Um, And this is God finishing his first statement to Joshua. He said, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Great fathers and mothers always reassure their kids. Always. It's like, not only have I set you up for success, it's like, I'm going to reassure you every chance I get. Every chance I get, I'm going to reassure you. I'm going to reassure you every chance I get. When a father and a mother, when you have a father and a mother, a spiritual father and a mother in your life that don't waver in the face of adversity, that don't waver in the face of problems or ugly or anything like that, man, that's everything. That's strength and that's encouragement. And we're talking about a move of God, right? Well, there is no move of God if there is no father. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. It's inferred because he's a son. That means God is a father. If there is no father, there is no move of God. If there is no father and mother encouraging the son, study hard. Miho, keep going. Keep going. Son, keep working hard. Keep working. Your family's going to be okay. If there are no leaders in the church that are devoted and spending time saying, keep going, keep going, there is no move. I can remember my parents when we lost, uh, we we had to move out from where we lived because we could no longer pay the mortgage. We moved in with my dad's uncle. Then he sold that house. We tried to find a place to live. It was five of us and one dog. And we found we couldn't find anywhere to live. We lived in a hotel um, or a motel for like two, three weeks. I started college at a motel. Nothing opened up in the city where we wanted to live. So we moved to Escovina to my mom's cousin's house. And we lived there for three months. We used to wake up at 5 in the morning and go to Downey. My mom would go to work. My sisters would go to high school and would go to middle school. And I would go chill at a donut shop. I would read my newspaper for about two, three hours. And I mean newspaper, or my books. I felt like, you know, there was a bunch of old timers in there and I was just like one of them except I had all my hair. And so we're talking, right, and I'm in there studying sometimes and I'm waiting for my friend to wake up so that he can drive me to school. That's called being relentless in the face of adversity. Why? Because I learned it from those two that are sitting there today. Because in the face of adversity, you know, and I saw, I saw stuff, you know, very intimate stuff between my parents, stuff happened in that season in our life. We had just come into Christ, and it was like we came into Christ for this, you know, stuff that like almost completely destroyed the family. But in that season, I saw them champion the family. I saw them keep a family together and do what was necessary to make sure that the kids had clothes on their back, food on the table, and they went to school. It wasn't an excuse. Oh, we don't have a house, mijo, don't go to college. It's okay. No, go to college, get an education. There is no excuse. Some of you young people here, you know, you think, ah, oh, I grew up in this area, or grew up in that area, or it's too hard, or my parents don't have money. Sorry, no excuses. Go to school. That one's for the young people. Or older people, too, go to school. And then I can remember times growing up, and my dad saying, son, read Proverbs. And I would read Proverbs, and I'd be like, man, I don't get this. And he'd be like, read Proverbs. And I would read it. And he would tell me, honor your father, honor your mother. Right? It used to be a joke. Honra tu padre, tu madre, tus and la, 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 And then I used to joke around with him, right? Because he would be like, son, read Proverbs. Honra tu padre, tu madre. And then one day I realized, that verse isn't even in Proverbs. It's like in Exodus or something like that. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But when you honor a father and mother like Joshua honored Moses, because God, God doesn't tell Joshua, hey Joshua, honor all the stuff that I told you. He says, hey Joshua, honor all the stuff that I told Moses. When you honor fathers and mothers, stuff is opened up to you that you didn't work for. See, in the kingdom, you harvest stuff that you didn't work for. And it's important that you plant stuff that you will not harvest. That makes sense? So what am I doing? Some of you need to be children. Some of you stop being children. Some of you need to be fathers, and some of you need to be mothers because you will father and mother a move of God. Each and every single person sitting here today is a move of God. You have the spirit of the resurrected Christ in you and over you, and you're hidden in him. He set you up. Some of you are being called to be fathers, to be mothers. The qualification isn't that you have kids. The qualification is that you know how to be a child. Because if you know how to be a child, then you know what a child wants. You know what a child needs, and you give it to them. And some of you, life started happening, and, and you became less and less like a child, and you stopped dreaming. And pretty soon, you, you, you stopped dreaming, and you just started thinking of necessity. And then you you lost sight of vision, right? And the Bible says, what about people that don't have vision? They perish. And so you let life get to you. And the Bible says, be like a child. And you don't get what it means. And I was talking with my brother Carlos yesterday. And when Jesus says, you know, be like a child, it doesn't necessarily just mean the holy and purity thing. It means that you come to Abba Father, and you camp next to his heart, and you catch a dream for your life that is way wilder and way bigger and way crazier than you could have ever dreamt up for yourself. And when you see that dream, you get vision. And when you get vision, you get hungry. And when you get hungry, you get moving. One more thing, and I'll have the worship team come up. I told you the phrase, right? Joshua, son of Nun. In Deuteronomy, we read, Joshua, son of Nun, Moses laid hands on him. God comes to speak to Joshua, Joshua, son of Nun. God tells Joshua, take courage, Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua goes to face off against Jericho, Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua going around, going around Jericho seven times. Each time, Joshua, son of Nun, what am I trying to get at? Every area, every aspect, everywhere Joshua went, he was a son. It never changed, and it never changes with us. And son of Nun, Nun, the name Nun, I looked it up. It means perpetual and increase. We are all sons of Nun because God is perpetual, he is everlasting, to everlasting and he doesn't change and he lives glory to glory every single day. God is calling you. If I can have the worship team come up. God is calling you, child. You are a son of perpetual and increase. Everywhere Joshua went, he didn't stop being a son. Joshua had kids. Later on it says Joshua is recounting all that God did with with Israel. And it says, Joshua, son of Nun. It's mentioned 30 times in the Bible. And I like to think that's because Joshua remained a child every step of his life. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about all the things that my parents did for me. And the Bible does say, honor your father and your mother. So, mom and dad, thank you. Because this message doesn't happen if you guys don't birth me, raise me, support me, love me, and release me. Your story is waiting to happen. And it'll start once you realize you have a father. Once you realize you have a comforter. You'll see stories start once you realize that you're a mother, you're a father. You'll see your dream once you realize you're a child. I honor you guys. I honor you guys with this message. You know... Too often, we take our older folk for advantage, you know. And we wait till they're gone to honor them. And I know this is personal, but take it for yourself. Go home and pick up the phone and call your mom and dad. Because they fought for you to be here. Because when they realized that they were pregnant with you, they didn't abort you, and you were born. And when you were born, you were born with purpose. And I'm not saying my parents were perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But mom and dad, I honor you today. Stand to your feet. You go ahead and stand. If you feel... Like god is calling you to be a father and a mother come up to the front if you've forgotten what it's like to be a child of god or you haven't encountered him in a while come up to the front and we're going to have some spiritual fathers and mothers in this place pray for you this is how we do church and if you don't go here and you know you're a father and a mother feel free to exercise your gift mom and dad this message don't happen if it's not for you guys So you guys feel free to pray for people today, please. I was standing in the living room of my apartment and I was thinking about this message. And I saw myself reach up and touch God's heart. And I saw a father dreaming for me, something that I could have never envisioned. And it stirred me and it gave me vision. I got vision I got hungry some of you aren't hungry but it's because you haven't eaten you need to eat so why don't you come up to the front and tonight let's have a feast one last thing I talked a lot about fathers But look it, women, you are so important. If I can have the ladies' attention right now. I heard this really cool thing and I almost forgot to say it. Paul Manwaring said this. He's a pastor up up north from Bethel. He said, for too long, women have been put down. Your value as a mother, ladies, is priceless. I can speak to that as a son of a great mom. But women care inherently about three things more than they care about, than what men would care about. They care about community, sustainability, and the next generation. They care about community because they care about the people outside of the immediate family. They care about the circle, they care about the neighborhood, they care about the children, the kids, the dog, the cat, the fish, they care about every single person. They care. They care about sustainability I can't tell you how many times my mom was like are you sure you're gonna keep that up you know you're gonna buy it but you're gonna keep that up sustainability can you keep it up the third and final thing they're invested into the next generation because they carry them in their womb for nine months they're invested in the next generation the church has put women down for too long and what the church has failed in doing in revival is sustaining it giving it to the community, and passing it on to the next generation. This thing is supposed to increase. It's not supposed to stay the same. It's supposed to matter to somebody. Do something about it. I know it sounds harsh, but I wouldn't say it if I didn't know that you were equipped. So we're going to worship.